The harvest is ripe. He didn't put us into a hard harvest. He didn't put us out into a harvest and say, Good luck, Rocky. You're never going to have somebody be interested to talk about me. You know, it's just going to be frustrating and terrible. He didn't do that. He said, The harvest is ripe. I've had somebody come up to me and say, Nate, if you don't tell me how to have Christ in my life, I will kill myself tonight. The harvest is ripe. And not every conversation is like that. But even people that think that they are against Christ, I'm convinced he's working on them and drawing them to himself. One of my best friends is Tom. And the first time I met him, my roommate and I in our freshman year of college, we tried to share Christ with him. And he said, whatever floats your boat, but I'm not into that. That's not my deal. It doesn't flow my boat. About eight weeks later, he accepted Christ. Now, nine years later, he's one of my best friends on this planet. And I love him dearly. We do all sorts of fun stuff together. And he's my brother in Christ. So the the harvest is very ripe. Jesus is drawing every single person alive on this planet to himself. So when when you speak to people, speak with that knowledge. Hey, he's already working here. He's already... I don't have to... I don't have to cause something to happen. I simply let him live through me. And I let him speak through me. And he's going to do what he wants to do. So, speaking in the fight. And what does that mean? Let's start out with Colossians 4.6. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So it says, always, always, let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And what Paul is saying here is that Our speech should be God-directed or God-empowered continually, always. Every conversation is meaningful. There is no such thing as a conversation that's not meaningful and that will not have eternal significance. Let it always be full of grace, always seasoned with salt, always directed by God and powered by Him, saying His words. That's not so easy, is it? It's really hard. It's a difficult thing. We as men often find communication difficult. And it's not just the number of words. They've done some major studies that find that men speak on average the same amount of words every day as women. I was shocked to hear that. I was looking over statistics for this talk thinking women talk way more than men. So, you know, I'm going to have these statistics that say that they talk four times as much as us. And I couldn't believe it. All the cutting edge research shows that men talk equal to women as far as quantity. But it's really hard for us to have real communication. See, my wife might be really comfortable bearing her soul with other women. She's okay talking about her inmost desires and needs and things like that. But for me as a man, I don't typically go to Chris and just bear my soul before him and tell him how much I love him and just treasure being with him as a friend, right? We're like, hey... Did you see the Broncos last week? <laughs> Jay Cutler threw another pick. We can get kind of superficial. And so I don't think we need to talk more. I don't think we need to increase the quantity of words that we use. But I think we need to learn to have God-directed conversation and to have it focused the way He wants it focused and to be speaking the words He desires to speak through us. And I think that that is a lot bigger of an issue. I've heard it put this way. There are three top fears that people have. The top fear is speaking in front of people. The second biggest fear is dying. And the third biggest fear is speaking in front of people and dying. <laughs> it's funny, but it was, it was just a, a joke that somebody came up with. But it's true that one of the top fears that people have when they do these studies is public speaking. And it's not being in front of people. Most people aren't afraid of being in a large group of people or being in front of people, but they're scared to communicate. 
in front of a lot of people. I think that's just this fear of communication amplified because of your audience. But I think the root is a fear of communication. We fear that. It's difficult for us. It's not easy. Even Moses said this. I want to read from Exodus 4.1 and then 10-15. through 15. Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? This is after God told Moses to carry his message. What if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Right? Have we ever thought that thought? I don't want to speak. I don't, I'm not good with words. I'm not eloquent. Neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? So if you've ever thought those thoughts like Moses, I'm not any good at speaking. I'm slow to speak. I'm not eloquent. I don't put words together very well. God said, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf? Or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. This just shocked me. I didn't even notice this. I always thought God said, Go and I'll be with you. He doesn't say, Go and I'll be with you. He says, Go and I'll be with your mouth. So imagine, as you're embarking on this fearful journey of speaking what God has for you to speak, he says, I'm going to be with your mouth. (laughs) I'm going to be with your mouth, Chris Hardrick, and help you say what you need to say. Adrian, I'm going to be with your mouth. Gordy, tonight, God's going to be with your mouth as you speak with us. Hopefully this morning, God will be with my mouth as I speak. But he says, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you are to say. But Moses says, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. So he's saying, please, just use somebody else. Come on, not me. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Not only am I going to be with your mouth, Moses, but I'll be with your mouth and with Aaron's mouth, and I'm going to let Aaron speak the words as the mouthpiece for what I have to tell you. So again, Moses had this same fear that a lot of us men have. I'm terrified to say what God wants me to say to the people around me. It scares me. And God said, I'm going to be with your mouth. See, so often we can say, I'm not any good at this, or I failed at this. But God says, I don't care. I'm God. I can do whatever I want with you. I'm capable. I made you in the first place. I can make you able to speak my words to the people around you. It's unfortunate for Moses that he didn't get to experience God using him in that way. There are four distinctively frightening points in speaking that I think I want to just throw out there. So you guys you guys have probably all encountered these four distinct points that are frightening. We call them the four sound barriers because each one is a point where you would have to have sound coming out of your mouth. You're speaking. And the first one is simply just meeting someone, meeting a new person that you've never met before. These apply to evangelism. Often these four points come up in evangelism, but in reality they're going to come up in every part of your life as well, even in your relationships with your wife, with your kids, with your coworkers. So meeting someone is the first frightening point where I have to speak words. The next one is starting a conversation. Let's say I just met Spencer for the first time. Hey Spencer, I'm Nate. Now I'm just looking at him. What comes next? It's awkward to try and think of a conversation. Isn't it kind of awkward? What am I going to ask him? So I see you like yellow shirts. It's kind of awkward to think of something that I could talk about. 
So it's kind of a frightening point of conversation. The next one would be transitioning to a meaningful or a spiritual conversation. In evangelism, it might be transitioning to a spiritual conversation. That would be kind of frightening. Now we're talking about the Broncos. How can I start talking about Jesus? It's not so easy, necessarily. It scares me. And that's natural if you have that fear. It's natural for all of us. Maybe in a conversation with your kids, it might not necessarily be bringing up a spiritual conversation, although that might... That is very necessary for parents. But it might just be talking about some issue that's going on in their life. I know my parents, here's a big one, they were scared to death to talk to me about sex. When I, when I was 12 or 13, they slipped me a little book. And that was like the end of the conversation, you know? <laughs> Nothing ever happened after that. It was just like, oh, this is weird. I wish my parents would have just been frank with me and sat down and had a heart-to-heart talk. As awkward as that would have been, I wish they would have taken the initiative to do that. Still, God is really faithful and has been really faithful in my life in that area. Those conversations can be awkward. Transitioning to that part of conversation can be awkward. And then finally, the fourth frightening point in conversation would be bringing that person to a point of decision. And this would specifically apply to evangelism and so forth. But in any part of your life where you're encouraging or challenging somebody, it's hard to bring them to that point of decision. If it's in evangelism, it's going to be difficult to say, now I've told them about Christ. And a lot of times Christians leave it there. I've told them God is so good and man, he blessed me with a new car. And then that's it. Or maybe I'll even say, hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime? But that's weird. Imagine if you're a non-Christian. What if I came up to you, Larry, and said, hey, there's a gay, lesbian, and transsexual alliance meeting tonight. You want to come with me to the meeting? <laughs> I have uh, water pipes that need fixing. <laughs> yeah, that's awkward. I don't want to go. A lot of times if you're asking your non-Christian friends to come to church with you, that's how it feels to them. They're going, church. My friend Tom, before he made the decision to trust Christ, I, I invited him to church once. He said, do they, do they perform sacrifices there? What are they going to do there? And he was, he was literally scared to go to church. He was terrified. At least he would admit that to me instead of just saying no. A lot of times we neglect that fourth point of bringing them to a point of decision. Actually laying out the gospel in a way that they can understand it. And saying, what do you think about Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus' call to you? And I know so many people, when we put the ball in their court like that, it really allows God to work in their lives because now they have a decision to make. So there are four distinctively frightening points in speaking, and you might find many others too. Those are four that stand out. And there might be many others in your life. So speaking is scary. It's difficult. Another reason that I think we as men fear communication is that we know it's hard to practice what you preach. Isn't that true? You feel reluctant to tell people you're this hardcore Christian and all that God's done in your life because you're afraid you might let a cuss word slip and they're going to see it. I don't know what what it is, but a lot of times we can fear, are they going to really see Christ in me? I'm scared to speak because I know it's hard to practice what I preach. And the Bible tells me to do that. James 1.22 says, don't merely listen to the word, but apply it and do what it says. Don't deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And 1 John 3.18 says, don't let us love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. My speaking is necessary, but it has to be backed up by my life. It has to be backed up by how I live. And that's very difficult. And a lot of times I think we as men know that that's difficult, and so we're scared to speak because we don't want to trap ourselves and make ourselves out to be a hypocrite. And I would just encourage you, speak anyway and trust God to do His will in your life. Trust God to make you the man He wants you to be because I think He really will. Don't be disobedient to Him in speaking because you're afraid of being disobedient in another area. Just be obedient with what He's called you to now and trust Him that He'll help you be obedient later. 
And I heard a pastor put it this way, I hope my non-Christian friends see me sin and fall. He said, I hope they see it when I fall, because I can tell them, I am not saved because of what I do, but because I have an awesome God that forgives me when I fall. He said, every time we fall, we can, we can say, yeah, I am sorry. I am sorry, and that is wrong, and I want to point people to Christ. I'm not saying go sin just so that you can point people to Christ. But you don't have to be perfect to speak, is what I'm saying, because none of us are perfect. But he did call us to step out in obedience and speak. But it's scary, and it's difficult because of that. Now, I want to contrast that difficult, scary issue of speaking with the power that we have in this tongue. James 3, 1-12 puts it this way. Kind of a long passage, but bear with me. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Again, he's talking about this. We stumble. We're going to make mistakes in the future. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So we're going to make mistakes in what we speak. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example although they are so large and driven by strong winds they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go likewise the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark somebody throws a cigarette out the window the whole forest burns it's insane something so tiny can cause so much destruction says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed, and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And he's saying we have this tongue and it's so easy to praise God with it and to curse our brothers and sisters with it. We get trapped up in what we're speaking. He says if you perfectly control your tongue, you're a perfect man. The Bible tells us none of us are perfect. If we claim to be without sin, we're a liar. So right there, I know none of us in this room perfectly control our tongue. We all need to grow in this. The tongue has the power of life and death, it says in Proverbs 18.21, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, what we speak has consequences. The things we say have consequences in life. And it's powerful. God spoke this world into being. He didn't go out there with a hammer and create it, right? Words have power. What we say has power. This is an an incredibly huge thing. In Matthew 18, 18, it says, I tell you the truth, and this is Jesus speaking here, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So God is telling each of us, when you speak on this earth, you have power that goes beyond this earth, even into eternity and into heaven. That's a pretty powerful thing. That's a pretty powerful thing. So this tongue that God's given us is so powerful. It's so powerful for either positive or evil. Either way. We have a tremendous amount of responsibility with that. Jesus said in Matthew 12.36, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I think that verse is the scariest verse in the entire Bible for me. Every word that I've spoken, I'll give an account for at some point. And I'm saved by His grace. He's not going to say, Nate, you have to go to hell now because you said some bad words. I'm saved by His grace. But I know every one of those words I've said, I'll give an account for. And that, that's kind of a terrifying thing. It's a big deal. 
So, there's power in the tongue for positive or evil. It's a scary thing to use. It's difficult to speak. But I want to encourage you guys that God has placed us here to use this mouth that he's given us. And I think that it will be very encouraging to you too. This fight has to come out of your walk with God. Fighting for people by speaking to them has to come first out of your walk with God. I alone have nothing good to tell people. It all has to come from him. If it doesn't come from him, it's worthless. It's just my thoughts or ideas. The world doesn't need any more of Nate's thoughts and ideas. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. So see, my speaking comes out of my belief in God or out of my relationship with God. It starts there. So as I trust in him and as I grow closer to him, my speaking will come out of that. If it comes from me again, it's no good. It has to come from him. Communication with God is the foundation for communication with others. Kind of what Kurt was talking about earlier. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray continually. See, if I'm communicating with God throughout the day continually, I have open lines of communication with Him continually throughout the day, how easy is it going to be for communication with people to occur the way it's supposed to? See, my mind is already in tune with where God is at, so my words will be in tune with where He is at. I'm communicating with Him. I'll be ready to speak His words. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. See, as I'm praying with God, that's powerful and effective. And Colossians 3.16, see, I can't just speak to God, but I need to hear from Him. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So see, as the word of Christ dwells in me richly, it says I'm going to be able to encourage and admonish and teach the people around me. But see, His word has to be in me first. It, It can't just be my thoughts or ideas. And Jesus was our example of this. In Luke 4.32, it says, The people were amazed at the things he said because he spoke with authority. They heard Jesus and they said, You've got something. You've got something that we don't have. I think it's in John 7. The Pharisees send these guards to go arrest Jesus. And the guards go to him and they come back empty-handed. And, and the Pharisees say, so, What happened? You're supposed to arrest this guy. They say, No one ever spoke the way this man speaks. And the Pharisees go, Are you going to be his disciples too now? But... Could you imagine just hearing him? They, they said, I'm, I don't care if I get fired from this job of being a guard. They directly disobeyed their orders, came back and said, we're not arresting the guy. I mean, you get fired for something like that or worse. Maybe even put to death. But see, they, they, were, they were just, the words he spoke alone were shocking to the point where they said nothing else matters but him. And see, God wants to speak that way through us. He wants to speak his words through us in a way that the people around us can encounter Him and come to know Him. And see, His Holy Spirit lives in us. The, the same Spirit that spoke with that authority in Jesus Christ lives in you and I from the moment that we put our trust in Him. So His Spirit is in us to do that same thing. In Matthew 10.19 it says, and it's talking specifically about when the disciples were arrested, but it says, when you are arrested, don't worry about what you will say in your defense because you will be given the right words at the right time. I don't want to extrapolate that further than we should. But what's really cool about that is it is a promise that we do have His Holy Spirit in us who will direct our conversation. And that is a true point right there. That as you allow the Holy Spirit to empower and direct you, He will influence the things you say and He will give credibility and authority to the things you say. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. 
I can speak as though I were speaking the very words of God. See, when I encourage Chris, I can speak as though I'm speaking the words of God. As I share Christ's message with people that have not responded to that message yet, I can speak as though I'm speaking with the very words of God. Tremendous amount of responsibility, but tremendous amount of authority, not from me, but from Him. He desires to speak through us, empowering us and giving us His words to speak. But I have to submit. I have to let Him do that. I can't do it on my own. Isaiah 7.9 says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. See, this is, this is a walk by faith. Where by faith I trust that as I keep my eyes on Him and open this mouth as hard as that is, He's going to use it to speak His words to people that need to hear it. But sometimes it's so scary and so difficult. The only way I can do it is to do it by faith. Say, God, I'm keeping my eyes on you and I'm opening my mouth right now. Now, this fight encompasses many different levels as husbands, as fathers, as friends, as neighbors, as co-workers, as brothers in, in Christ, right? We have whole families around us and we have whole churches around us that need God's word spoken, need to be encouraged, need to be directed towards Him. And He's put us there to, to speak His words. In Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10, and then in 17 through 19, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah writes, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. So Jeremiah is responding the same way a lot of us do. I don't know how to speak. I'm like a little kid. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Okay, imagine that. Just like Moses had that fear. Now God's saying to Jeremiah, You're scared to speak for me, but I'm putting my words in your mouth. The same that he does with us. Remember, First Peter, it says, Speak as though you're speaking the very words of God. So we have the same promise that God gave Jeremiah. Speak. I'm going to put my words into your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. That's a hardcore thing. See, God is telling Jeremiah, you've got to walk by faith. Don't be terrified by the people I'm sending you to talk to, or else you're going to, I'll let you be terrified by them. If I choose to live in fear, God's going to say, that's fine, you can live in that fear. But he calls me to step out in faith. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So he called him to speak. He said, I'm scared to speak. And he says, no, stand up. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. You're going to be a strong fortress that will speak my words to the people that need to hear it. And that same call is to us in this fight. It's a fight. It's not easy. Again, that's why we're saying it's a fight to speak to people. It's a fight to speak the words God calls me to speak. But see, he's going to do what he wants in me to be able to speak what he wants to other people. So the fight encompasses all these different levels. Like I said, it encompasses your wives. A lot of us guys find it difficult to communicate with our wives. Isn't that true? I think that's a huge issue. We're doing pre-marriage counseling with Chris and Kaylee here. They get married two weeks from today. So it's pretty exciting. One of the biggest issues in that is communication. That's a big deal in relationships. A lot of relationships break apart simply because of communication. We're called to communicate with our wives. In 1 Peter 3.7 it says, Husbands likewise dwell with them in understanding 
giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. If I'm not living in in harmony with my wife, if I'm not living in understanding with my wife, it says my prayers are hindered. Is that scary? See, God's called me to live in good communication with my wife, not in negative communication. We're together. We're one flesh. And if I can't even communicate with my wife correctly, that, that's a big deal. So Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So even in my communication, I can give myself for my wife. I can put her first. I can lay down my life for her. I can love her by giving up my rights, my expectations, my wants in communication and in speech. You've heard it said that if we treated our families like mere strangers they would get along so much better. It's true. It's so easy to, to get mad at your kids or something like that and be very polite with a stranger. But I think God wants us to go beyond that. He wants us to have awesome, sweet communication with our spouses. Right? What about with your children? Ephesians 6.4 says, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So I've been called to not get into these arguments with my kids, but to train them in the admonition of the Lord. It's a big challenge to us as fathers. Most families in this nation are raising kids that have no clue about Christ. Most Christian fathers are not passing a relationship with God down to their kids. They're passing maybe some religious activities down, which is just a big mess but they're not passing an intimate relationship with Christ down to their kids. And that doesn't just come out in what we speak as fathers, but in what we do. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. See, we need to live that example for them. Just briefly, I want to share my dad's example. I still have cards that I've kept just from memory. All the years growing up, he would give me a little note card. He would say, Hey, buddy. Try to memorize 1 John 2, 15 through 17 by the end of the week. Thanks so much. You know, and at the end of the week, he would say, Hey, did you get a chance to memorize that verse? And I thought it was pretty silly when I was a kid, you know. I was like, oh, whatever, Dad's trying to get me to memorize verses again. And But then he'd talk with me about it, you know, and he'd never get mad if I didn't do it. But he was always encouraging me and training me in the Lord. He was always encouraging me there. And then he lived that example for me. He knows the word probably better than any person I've ever met in my life. So he lived that example. And and I thank God for for that investment that he put in my life from when I was barely old enough to read. Constantly keeping that in front of me. And I know my dad, he's great at writing, but he's kind of shy speaking sometimes. But he he did not let that stop him from getting our family together to, to get in the Word together, to pray together, to seek God together. He set that example for me. And I think you as fathers, you guys that are fathers in here, your sons and daughters need that. Your kids need that. They need you to speak to them, to talk to them to communicate with them. Fight for your brothers and sisters, the people around you, even the people in this room. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So he's saying, God's word is in you, right? We're, we're connecting with God first. And then I get to speak to the people around me. He says, be patient. It's not going to be easy. Be careful. And speak those words to them. In Titus 2, 7-8, it says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good, and your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. See, again, he's saying, back what you say up. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Live what you're preaching, right? Walk what you're preaching. Do what you're telling other people to do. Don't say one thing and do another thing. Fight for younger Christians. This is huge. A lot of you guys have, have had a relationship with Christ for a significant amount of time. There are younger guys in your churches or wherever 
that need somebody to come alongside them and encourage them. In fact, the word that's used in the, in the Bible for encouragement is parakletos, which means to come alongside. That's the actual meaning. They need people that are going to come alongside them and encourage them in their walk. Encourage them when, when things aren't going the way they expect them to go. Take the initiative to challenge and encourage them. What you say will make a difference. What you say will make a difference. John Ray was a teacher that I had in sixth grade. And he challenged me to some huge, huge, huge things. When I was 11 or something like that, I was very young. And when I was 11, I made decisions. I love this guy. John Ray, he was like my role model. I liked the way he dressed, the way he looked, the way he acted. He's just a really cool teacher. And he challenged me to some huge things, and I responded to that. And literally, I am today who I am in large part because of what he challenged me to. My marriage today is a success in large part because of what he challenged me to. I, have, I feel like I owe more than I can imagine to this guy. So you guys too, there are people around you, and it might be scary to step out and, and encourage them and challenge them. But they need that. You know, they need that. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. Fight for the lost. Frankly, guys, there is a whole world that, that needs to know about Jesus. And, and again, he's, he's put us here to share that with them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. See, I have to preach, he said. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, You're God's ambassadors. An ambassador speaks. What would you say if, if the U.S. ambassador went to France and didn't say a word for the whole week? Promise you he's going to get fired, right? Because an ambassador goes to the next country and speaks what his president wants him to say. And see, God says, you're my ambassadors. You're the ones that I've put in this world to share my words with this world. I've got to speak. I can't just do that not say anything. A lot of times, God, what God says is going to go against the grain of what everybody around us is saying. i got to do what the disciples say. The Sanhedrin grabs them, right? They arrest all these guys, they're about to flog them all, and they say, they do flog them, right? And then they say, okay, don't don't, don't preach anymore in, the, in this man's name, in Jesus' name. And they say, we have to obey God, not man. And see, that's the thing is, again, my words mean nothing. I can say every politically correct word you want, and it's not going to impact anyone. It's just in one ear and out the other ear. But see, God's words, they make a lasting impact. And they will, they'll impact people right where they are. Now, I, as we talk about fighting for people by speaking to them, Russ is the best example I've ever seen. Russ takes the initiative with every person he ever meets to see where they are spiritually. And if they haven't yet come to know Christ, he's going to share Christ with them. If they have come to know Christ, he's going to find out how much they've grown in that and try to encourage them to make that next step. He did that with me through four years of college and Six years since. For almost ten years now, Russ has been meeting with me every single week and encouraging me in my walk with God. See, he's taken that initiative in so many people's lives to be that ambassador, to speak God's words to people. Romans 10, 13, 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? If I'm not speaking, they don't hear. And if they don't hear, they can't believe. You guys have heard this quote, and it's got to be... If many of you have quoted this, don't take this the wrong way. Please please take it the right way. But it's got to be the worst quote that's ever been uttered in Christianity. It says, Preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. That quote is attributed 
to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. He didn't actually say that. They've had hundreds of researchers scouring every speech he ever gave, every word he ever spoke, every word he ever wrote. And that quote is never, ever, ever described by him. But he did say things that kind of maybe sounded like that and could have been construed that way. And so it kind of got condensed by who knows who into that quote. But it's a terrible quote. And the reason I say it's terrible is words are necessary. Words are necessary. You can live the greatest life somebody's ever seen. And if you're not verbally pointing them to Christ, you're just another neat person. You're just another good friend. Now what is good about that quote is God wants us to back up what we say with our lives. It's like what Mike was sharing this morning in our group. He was sharing, if I'm living in a way that that glorifies Christ, well, that's going to give me the background to be able to speak God's words to people. right? If I'm living as a hypocrite, I can't speak to people. Words are necessary. See, in Romans 10 again, it says, how can they believe unless somebody preaches to them? It says they've got to have somebody that will speak God's words to them. In Ezekiel, God says this, you must speak to them my words, whether they listen or fail to listen. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. It's like if I tell you to warn somebody and you don't warn him, you're kind of accountable for that. And he says, but if you do warn him and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. So he says, you're off the hook. See, God has given us... His words to speak to people. And again, it says, you know, he's going to hold me accountable for every word I speak. And in this case, for the words I don't speak, for the opportunities that he gives me that I don't take advantage of, that I don't step out in. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 2, about, gosh, all he cared about when he was with the Corinthians was Christ. He said, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wasn't concerned with just making nice friends with them and having a good time. But everything he did, he wanted to point to Christ. I want people to see Christ in me, and I want to encourage them towards having a relationship with Christ by my words and what I speak. So what you say matters. The negative things you say matter. Gossiping, slandering, cussing, arguing. Any of you guys remember the 21st Street Coffee House in Durango? This is like six years ago. It was this Christian coffee house, and all the Christians would go there to have theological arguments with each other. It was the lamest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was disgusting. Do you remember this, Gordy? You probably saw that place. Yeah, everybody heard about this place because it was it was there it was evil. It's like it's like when when it says in James, you know, you can have a fresh spring or a bitter spring. That was a bitter spring. It's Christians arguing, arguing, arguing. Everybody across town knew about it, and it just got to be so terrible that they had to shut down the whole coffee shop just because it was such a mess. See. All that stuff is negative. Sarcasm, coarse joking, all those things the Bible talks about in different places. But basically, Ephesians 4.29-30 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So he says, when you're speaking, be encouraging, be helpful, be good. You know, There's no reason to, to say all this negative stuff. And, and it says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Right after that. So I know... My negative words directly sorrow God's very spirit that lives in me. right? But my positive words can help them grow and, and they can be good and helpful. So the negative things I say matter. The positive things I say matter. Those are often the hard things to say, right? Uh, encouraging people, loving people. In Acts 4.36-37 it talks about Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. And it says, 
the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Okay? Imagine this, Larry. If you were known in your hometown as the encourager, everybody, to the point where they don't even call you Larry anymore. It's like, hey, the encourager came by for coffee this morning. Isn't that kind of amazing? This guy was called the son of encouragement. They quit calling him by his, by his name Barnabas, and start, or by his name uh, Joseph, and started calling him the son of encouragement. And he actually, it says, he sold the field that he owned, he sold his property, and he brought the money, and he gave it to the people that were in his church. He was meeting needs. His life was backing up his encouragement, right? He wasn't just encouraging people with his words, but he was encouraging people with his actions. He was meeting their physical needs that they have. And, see, we're called to encourage the people around us, to build them up, not to tear them down with what we say, but to build them up with what we say. And uh, Pastor Mark Minicciolo was a guy that, when I was about 16... Probably 15 through 18. He had a huge influence in my life. We were over in Romania, and he was a pastor of this church that we were a part of. He was one of the pastors there, a couple there. And I'm not kidding you. Every time I saw this guy, this is like, gosh, 13 years ago now, something like that, 14 years ago, from 15 on. And he would, every time I saw him, he'd tell me, literally, he'd say, Hey, Nate, I finally got registered. I'd say, I'd say, what'd you get registered for? And he'd say, the Nate Herbst fan club. And then he'd go, you are like, no, ser-. I'm laughing at this point. You know, he's like, no, 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 seriously. You are like Billy Graham and the best snowboarder in the world and one human being. And I am so honored to be your friend. Like he'd talk like every time and he'd be creative. Every time he's thinking of new ways to encourage me. You know, you know how much that made me pursue Christ when I was a teenager? Hearing this pastor encouraging me that way? Tremendous amount of influence that he had in my life. But simply because he took the time to encourage me. And took the, and I'm sure he, he had to think of those things. He had to be creative. He couldn't just repeat the same thing every week. I want to be more like that. I'm not naturally like that. I want to be more like that. Chris, you can hold me accountable to that, buddy. Be like, Nate, you need to encourage me, buddy. So I want to encourage the guys around me. So what we say negatively matters. What we say positively matters. And get this, what we neglect to say matters. You know, uh, Asking forgiveness, admitting you're wrong. You know, you know how big it is for people to see us as men admit we're wrong? That's huge. It's hard to do, right? It's not easy. But when we admit we're wrong, you can just see the shock on people's faces. And we're all going to be wrong. And if we can't admit it, that sucks. You know, that's just, that's lame. But we need to be able to admit that we're wrong. Asking forgiveness, admitting you're wrong, saying I love you. How many of you guys have never told your, your kids that you love them? That's huge. Or, or saying that I'm proud of you. I know as, as a son, I don't know what it is, but literally there is, there's very little in the entire world that I enjoy more than hearing my dad say that he's proud of me or saying that I'm good at something. You know, when my dad says that, it's like I feel more motivated than you can imagine. And I could care less if a lot of other guys tell me that or not. But knowing that my dad supports me and, and is proud of me, that's huge. So I encourage you guys, yeah, tell your kids you're proud of them. Tell them that you love them. Tell your wife that you love her. Tell her that you appreciate her. We can neglect our wives so easily. Yesterday, getting ready for this retreat, I was just scrambling, you know, getting this competition thing together, getting this together. Literally, I get all done with it, and Aaron's like, all your stuff is packed, and you're ready to go. Did you get my snowboard? Yeah. My boots? Yeah. My snowboard pants? Yeah. How about food? Yeah. How about this shirt? Yep, I got that shirt. I couldn't believe it, you know. It'd be a shame for me to just walk out of the house and just, I, I hugged Aaron. I just, you are, you're, you're amazing. I, I could not have done this without you today. I just, I'm so thankful that, that you were willing to, to serve me like that. 
And uh, so tell your wives, so what you say matters, what you don't say matters, and how you say it matters. Uh, how you talk to your wife matters. What, you, what words do you use? She'll never forget them. Does Geraldine ever forget the words you use, Rocky? I think wives are pretty good at remembering like every single detail. Bet I can't even remember what I say as well as she does. Bad as well as good. <laughs> Bad as well as good. That's it. Before I got married, I, I made dis- decisions about certain things that would never be uttered in our marriage. Like, I would never use the word fat, okay? I was like, I will never use that word. There are certain things that I will never say because she will never forget them. And it's like the negative consequences of me not thinking through that word will probably bug her till the day she dies. Uh, so so be careful what words you use. Be careful what attitude or, or your eyes or your your voice or your intent all those things, I don't even pick up on them, you know? But Aaron picks up on them. Uh, how do you talk to your kids? Do they know you love them and are proud of them by how you speak to them, by the way you say what you say? Kyle is my favorite example of this, of, um, of pretty much anyone I've ever seen. In this one story, we went hiking on a staff retreat a couple of years ago, and Kyle's son forgot his jacket at this pond that we hiked to. And this is like, I don't know, 20, 30-minute hike from the road. So we hike 20 to 30 minutes back from the road and then drive down probably a mile or so. And Kyle looks over at Caleb and says, Hey, buddy, where's your jacket? You know? And Caleb goes, I think I forgot it at the pond. And instantly I'm thinking in my mind, like, I would be like, What in the world, kid? How'd you forget your. I'd be going, How did you forget that? How can... You know what I mean? I was thinking like that. And Kyle just, he just says, Hey, Russ, stop the car. He says, Hey, well, let's hike back there and get it, you know? We'll get to hang out together some. And I was just floored. I, I don't know what, how that encouraged Caleb. But for Caleb to realize that his dad wasn't going to just chew him out for forgetting something. How could he do that and be so stupid? He just saw it as an opportunity to go hang out with him, you know, and to, to be with him and to walk back there together and get this thing and then walk back down to the lodge, which probably took you guys an hour and a half or something like that. Uh, but it was time to spend together. Do, you, do your kids know that you love them by the way you talk to them? Do your brothers and sisters know that you love them by the way you talk to them? Do the, you know the guys around you? Do they know you really love them, or do they think that there's like this macho competition going on where we got to outdo each other? And frankly, do the people that don't yet know Christ do they know you love them, or do they just feel like they're a project to you? Do they just feel like you're their friend just to get them to go to church with you or something? See, they need to know you really love them. That takes. The words we say and the life we live both. Basically, guys, we cannot be quiet any longer. It's scary to speak. It's hard to speak, but we can't just be quiet any longer. Uh, We have to stand up and actually open our mouth and and speak and and trust God with that. We need to get over our insecurities. That's a big thing. A lot of times it's our insecurities that keep us from speaking. Victory over those insecurities comes out of that relationship with God. Just like it did with Moses. You guys remember that. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I've called you to speak, but I'm going to be with you. We need to trust God with those insecurities. And the fight is by faith again. And He desires to speak through us, empowering us, and giving His words to speak. And this is the cool thing, guys. This is a great verse. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. See, where we were scared to speak before, as we simply relate to God and develop that relationship with Him, He will make us as bold as a lion to speak His words in love to the people around us. But it comes out of relationship with Him. Now here's what Jim Elliott wrote. 
in his journal. And most of you guys know he's the he's one of the missionaries that was killed in that movie, The End of the Spear. It was in theaters last year and all that. Back in the 50s. He said, Father, make me a crisis man. Make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. See, as as I speak the words God gives me and live the life that he's called me to, I can really fight for people, right? I can really fight for people, and they can see a difference. I, in Isaiah, God says, "Who's gonna Who's gonna speak for me? Who's gonna speak for me?" He says this. Then I heard a, the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And I said, "Here am I. Send me." And that's what I, I want you to leave with: is this idea that God has specifically called you to fight for people by speaking to them, by speaking His words and His love to them. People all around you, in your own families, your marriages, your churches, and your workplaces, wherever that might be. And I encourage you to have Isaiah's heart. Just send me, God. I'm scared to death, but I'm willing to trust you and let you speak through me and and to take that step. Your weaknesses, inabilities, and failures present no challenge to God's plan for your life, but your willingness does. Will you be willing? Will Will you be willing and say, Here am I. Use me how you want.